Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hardcore Football. I'm Phil Baki, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mika Burrell. What's up? Not much, Phil. It's uh, Rabbit Rabbit. It's February 1st. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we made it through the uh, like buffer zone between like the worst year ever and like... The worst start to a new yeah. year. <laughs> At least yeah. if you live in America. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. Um. We made it. <laughs> yeah. Groundhog's Day Eve. Oh, shit. That's right. I was just like, I was like, you know, it's it's actually kind of aggressive of us to have Groundhog's Day after a whole year of them. Truly. Like, <laughs> like come oh on. Oh, my God. Like, it, cut me some oh, slack. Shit. Um, Do you think he's gonna see his shadow? <laughs> I mean, I don't see how he couldn't. There's no way. There's no way we're cut, catching a break uh, in this oh, year God. of all years. Uh, no. Um, yeah, but th- I mean, the big news was that it's deadline day. Uh, yes. More so than more so than anything else, it was it was deadline day. So loads to talk about um, on uh, on that front. Um, and and plenty more of actual games that were played um but first uh just uh i guess administrate the administrative notes you know um if you're finding us for the first time then you can subscribe to the podcast on on any major podcast platform pretty much you can find us pretty much anywhere um and uh you can follow us on twitter at hxc football for you know banter memes but primarily i think we try to keep it like more insightful on on the twitter and uh save save the memes like you know yeah we're not trying to usurp troll football or anything yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah um but yeah as i said uh, uh transfer deadline day was the big was the big news uh of the day and um for all the discussion of a it's the middle of a pandemic no one's really got any money to do anything there's quite a bit of movement today yeah yeah they these clubs are out here lying they did the most i mean maybe (laughs) not like the most like we've seen i mean we didn't see any like huge huge deals but still there was still quite a bit of movement um a lot of loans yeah uh the year of the loan um and a lot of like loans with options, but I think a lot of teams, uh, especially in the Premier League, added to to uh, hopefully get through the season because people are falling down left and right with injuries. So yeah, <laughs> well, I think you know one of the situations that's been obviously very talked about uh, across the Premier League and and world football just due to the um, the profile of the, of the club and certainly the injury, uh, the main injury virtual Van Dyke being out for Liverpool. Um, there's been all kinds of talk about a center back and after a little bit of shuffling in the market and, uh, an Arsenal player actually headed to Germany, um, Liverpool finally get their hands on a potentially first, uh, first team center back. Yeah, it was on Kabak. We spoke about him like two episodes ago about um, his links to Liverpool, and it actually comes off. I think it's an op- loan with an option, right? Yeah, yeah, loan um, with an option to buy at the end, which I I think is all but a formality at this point. Um, 
sure. I'm almost certain they'll make it, make it, uh, yeah, make it permanent at the end of the season, but we'll see. Yeah, and he will be <laughs> thrown right in, most likely, because I think the news came out today, too, that Joel Matip is out for the season. So that's yeah. Van Dyke, Gomez, and Matip out for the season. I mean, that's just absolutely unfair. <laughs> you, you could you could replay this season 10,000 times and not have that that same sequence occur in the way right. that it did. Um, yeah, just, just a wild, wild sequence of events, but Liverpool's hierarchy was being kind of called into question and like, are they going to do something about it? And in the end, they, they did take action and uh, the magician, Mike Edwards, the sporting director, uh, find a way to pull off the Kabak deal without breaking the bank too. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very sensible business. It looks like at least from what we know, but y'all got somebody else too that I have never heard of. What about, <laughs> tell us about him. Uh, ben Davis, uh, not to be confused with Ben Davis, the Tottenham left back. Um, the, right. uh, yeah, Ben Davis was signed from uh, QPR, or sorry, not even, uh, Preston North End um, in the championship. Uh, not, not a very well-known player, obviously. Um but he has been ever present for for Preston in the championship. And I think at two million pounds, he represents like a very low risk um, signing. I do think. Being being cynical, I think the Davis transfer was uh, strictly cover for mm. if they couldn't pull off the Kabak signing for some reason, um, because it seemed like the Kabak signing was uh contingent on them getting a hold of uh Mustafi from Arsenal so um I think that was insurance more than anything so I you know it it could be that he you know impresses in training and and finds his way into the team I think Kabak was always the the long-term choice with him being just 20 years old um but for both of them I think the the really interesting thing is the change in expectation um, mm. moving from either a championship club, kind of a middling championship club like Preston North end or from the worst team in the Bundesliga in Schalke yeah. to Liverpool, the expectation becomes not just like being solid, but being essentially perfect in each of your outings um, so it'll be really interesting to see how they deal with the expectation and, and cope with that because it obviously takes uh, quite a bit of mental strength, I think, as has been evidenced from this season to maintain that sort of level. Yeah, that's insane. I mean, with defenders, it's I feel like it's even more of a betting in process um, as a defender. And these guys are coming straight into the champions um, from different levels, really, the championship in the Bundesliga. So um, I saw someone say, it made me laugh, they said, uh, he's just an English Ben Davis. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, he, he literally is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I do like that he's left-footed. That's something different for Liverpool. True, true. So that's, a, that's another dimension to that that I that I personally like. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, now, as you said, a, a vital piece and anything that moves... Liverpool's midfielders back into midfield will be a welcome, a welcome change. Um, 
Liverpool obviously coping with with this uh, fairly well over the weekend, and we'll get to that. Um, but we had a question on Twitter. Uh, the Shark had asked um, about the Liverpool situation, and I think we've kind of gone into that. But the second part of his question was actually about another loan move. Um, little bit lesser known, little bit lower profile um, in terms of this player. Um, but uh, Joshua Xerxy from uh, FC Bayern uh, moved to Parma on loan. Um, The team currently towards the bottom of, of Serie A um, and Bayern, you know, obviously not much room in the attack in the attacking line for young players to come through with the likes of Lewandowski and, and company uh, tearing it up in the way that they are. But, what do you think about this move for Xerxes to, to head to, to Italy and try his luck in a kind of lower tier Serie A side? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I'm not even going to sit on here and lie that I saw this one coming. I don't yeah. know that anybody <laughs> did. Um, I mean, like you said, it's, it's extremely hard, I think, to get into Byron's attack. Lewandowski showing absolutely no signs of slowing down. I think that's why you've seen over the years Bayern sign um, Chupamotings and people like that because you have you need to have a guy that's absolutely fine with being second choice and probably never playing. And, and Xerxes, he's 19 years old. I don't think he expected that he would, you know, play regularly for Bayern. But um, good on him that he's moving somewhere to get playing time um, rather than just sitting at Bayern and kind of you know, stagnating. Um, he's an absolute unit. He's six, four. So, um, I think actually that might be pretty interesting to see in in Italian football. He'll be coming up against really rugged defenders and it'll be interesting to see how he can kind of like use his frame in that, that kind of style of football. Uh, like you said, Parma are kind of a, a lower tier side right now, but a historic one nonetheless. So, um, it's it's it'll be interesting to see how he develops. He's still very very young, and uh, I think they've I think this is another one of those like loans with an option to buy at the end. So yeah, I guess Bayern are okay with uh, potentially losing him. Um, it's really interesting though. It seems like Holland for a while they had like no forwards, and now they've got Xerxes, De Jong, Veghorst, who mm-hmm. we might talk about later, yeah. uh, Malin. They've got a, a lot of different st- like styles of strikers. So sure, um, yeah, I'll be watching his his uh, career there with interest. I think it's a really interesting move. I the the thing I like about it is that Parma are the lowest scoring side in Serie A, fourteen goals in twenty matches this season. So they need goals. So I think yeah. it's a really interesting situation for a young striker where you're moving there with the expectation that you're going to add that for the team. Like a lot of the times there's a little bit of, Hey, we'll, you know, kind of see how he fits in and all this stuff. Like they're adding him with the expectation that, Hey, we can get some goal, like add some goals to the side. So um, I think that sort of pressure to be the man um, can kind of, show the true qualities of a, of a striker, even at a young age. Um, and he'll certainly learn a lot from the experience, I think. So, um, yeah, yeah, it'll be really interesting, uh, to see how, to see how he gets on down there. But I, you know, I personally like the, like the move overall. 
um, as you know, it's more, more playing time for a young player, as you said, you know, who's, who would otherwise be stuck behind, you know, some of the, the top class attackers in, in world, in world football. So, um, the, another move that I, I personally was blindsided by, um, Moises Caicedo, um, Mm. from Independiente de Valle, uh, the Ecuadorian midfielder, 19 years old, gets a move to Brighton and Hove Albion and Graham Potter is slowly putting together just a really saucy midfield. <laughs> he is. And I mean, that fits his football because he plays, he has these players playing saucy football. Um, I mean, they're missing the goals at times, but you know, they play some really nice stuff down, down on the South coast. Um, this is an insane transfer. Um, <laughs> Considering the fact that this was a very serious Manchester United target. Yeah. And now Brighton have, have got him and he's very highly rated. Um, I've not seen him play, but I've read a lot about him. And from what I can tell, it seems like he's really, uh, you know, an all action, like box to box midfielder. Um, seems like his game would translate very well to the Premier League. And, um, you know, this I think will... I think this is kind of looking into the future a bit too, in terms of the Premier League in general, because now that you know Brexit is here, South America is going to be really one of the hot markets, I guess, for for young talent because they'll they'll find it easier apparently new point system for transfers, and um, mm-hmm. it seems like Brighton are kind of getting ahead of everyone in that in that way. They've got. Uh, I think Alexis McAllister and Alzate. I believe he's South American too, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. But um, yeah, Brighton are doing some really interesting business, and this is a, a, a coup, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think to snap a transfer like this out from under the noses of some of the big clubs who certainly would have had, uh, you know, their eyes on on um, a player like this, who in just six Copa Libertadores uh, appearances this season scored twice and assisted once, so. Um, uh, you know, a goal involvement every other game and uh, not not maintaining that sort of return necessarily throughout, um, you know, the uh, the league season. Um, but and he scored also in a World Cup qualifier for Ecuador. So, yeah, crazy. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, and at 19, I mean, again, represents pretty low risk move for Brighton and probably, you know, in the long term. Um, could potentially sell him on for a massive fee um, in a few mm-hmm. years. So, um, but hoping, hoping that he just, that he impresses um, at Brighton. And like you said, I think he suits, suits the side well, and, and we'll get to wax lyrical about Brighton a little bit later um, <laughs> when we talk about the, their actual results, um, making our way through these last few moves. Um Liverpool not just uh, involved in the inbounds, but the outbounds as well. And uh, Takumi Minamino is headed to Southampton um, to get that much needed Saints development before you can be an established Liverpool player. <laughs> Any of Saints fans listening to this are not going to like that. <laughs> oh. no, um. I, I'm really joking, but you know. <laughs> no, um. It, good for him. He needs the playing time. I think, um, given a lot of Liverpool's scoring woes, although not recently, they look like they're probably back in the ascendancy. But in in 
re- fixtures before the Spurs game, I think that was a lot of pressure on him probably. And even in situations where you thought that Mania might make an appearance, he wouldn't. So um, really just wasn't enough room or time for him, I think, uh, on, on Mercy's side. So I like this move a lot. I only wish that um, Maya Yoshida was still there to kind of welcome <laughs> him on the South Coast. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope he does well as someone who sympathizes for the uh, Japan national team. So, yeah, I um, I like this move for him um, personally with with him not getting as much game time. Um, I also really like that Liverpool um, forwent an option to buy um, in this loan. Uh-huh. Saints wanted it. And Liverpool rejected that. So um, standing firm on he, you know, he does have a future at the club. They see him as still fitting in, you know, in the future and just wanting him to get a run of games. Um, It's uh, I that's really encouraging. And I'm just, you know, glad that this wasn't the end of what has been a pretty short stint for for Minamino at Liverpool and hopefully he still gets a chance to to break into the team next season after um playing under under Ralph for a little bit yeah and and you you bring up Ralph and I I really like that part of the transfer too is that he'll be linking up with a a very good uh coach who plays you know kind of similar to to Jurgen Klopp's football and is also a former RB Leipzig manager and of course you know Minamina having come through the Red Bull system um that's something that I think he and his new manager can connect on immediately um so yeah I'm really I'm really interested to see how he does um a lot of our conversations recently have been about Americans abroad and we see Mm -hmm. Another American headed to Serie A, actually, and from FC Dallas. So this is the Weston McKenney pipeline. Um, <laughs> Brian Reynolds uh, signs a a loan deal. They uh, Roma, AS Roma uh, sign him on loan with a obligation to make the deal permanent uh, for six and three quarters million um, in the summer with potential for the deal to include an additional 5 million. So this could be a pretty hefty transfer for, uh, for FC Dallas, all things considered. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, that'd be a a record in uh, MLS. And I mean, good because there's a lot of talent in MLS and especially FC Dallas. I I mean, I have to give them props for how they've managed to bring through so many players and, and, you know, allow them to go to Europe and have, have good careers all the Weston. Um, I also think on the other side of this, it's really interesting that Serie A appears to be trying to invest in the youth a little bit. I think they've, they, they're trying to, it almost feels like they're trying to overcome this stereotype that they're a league for old men um, just before you, you go off to MLS or China or something. I think they're trying <laughs> to start a youth movement maybe and, and be seen as, as a league where you can go and play and develop, a, you know, kind of like the Bundesliga where it's, you know, very high level football, but um, young players may still get chances. So I like right. it in that aspect too. Um, I've never seen Brian Reynolds play, but I will try and catch his games now that he's at uh, AS Roma. And uh, an interesting uh, transfer as well, because Juve made it pretty public that they were interested and um, mm-hmm. they lose out to a, a direct rival, which uh, n- doesn't often happen in the transfer market to Juve. <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I mean, what do you think sold him? Because, I, I mean, if someone was asking me, do I want to live in Rome or Turin, like, that's tempting. <laughs> like, yeah. Rome is lit. You would know. Yeah, Rome is amazing. Um, <laughs> I I think... So based on based on some of the articles around it, it was discussing the fact that Juve had this plan. They had already signed their two. They're permitted to sign two non-EU players in Italy, mm. I guess. Um, and so they had already signed their two um, in the window. I'm not sure who that is. Um, maybe some youth signings or something. But yeah. Um, the plan then would have been to uh, buy Reynolds and then immediately loan him out because he wouldn't be able to be registered with Juve. So perhaps if Ro- if Roma came in and said, no, like we want you to come and play in the team and we're not going to loan you out like you, we want you to be a part of the senior setup, then maybe that was enough to, you know, he didn't want to get trapped in like Juve loan hell. Um, yeah potentially fair fair <laughs> which it's happened it's happened before uh to, <laughs> to other players um so yeah certainly some some precedent there but um Just quickly before we yeah. move on from american players did you see swansea do the double with jordan morris and paul ariola mm-hmm. <laughs> like it I, I, what's going on there it's a little weird <laughs> like it it kind of smacks of like Swansea Swansea are a solid team this year. Like they're, they're doing really well in the championship Yeah, and now it feels like, okay, like we can get in a couple of depth pieces, but also it becomes like, but also twerk for America. Yeah. Like it's the, Amer- <laughs> the American owners like, uh, potentially right. being like, let's bring in some American, eyes to like let's try to capitalize on our form and and bring in some um not to be overly (laughs) cynical because i mean jordan morris has has obviously performed pretty well um this you know these past couple of seasons in mls so he you know he could add something um yeah his his transfer didn't surprise me too much because he'd been linked to a a european move before but paul ariola's was a little that was that caught me out. <laughs> <laughs> I think it caught everybody out. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a bit of an uh, bit of an odd one. Um, we'll see how they do. Um, I know there was a little. There's always whenever an MLS player moves to the moves to the championship, there's always a little bit of um, back and forth about whether it's a upward or a lateral move in terms of quality of the league um, for me it's upward yeah well and i think <laughs> i think without you know without getting into an argument about whether the championship is is a better quality league because you know i i would say that it is but so much of that is like subjective of you know which league is better sure. um but the potential of being in the championship is automatically higher because you can in theory without being identified by scouts without being, you know, um, purchase, you can move up to the premier league, which is obviously a whole different level. Um, so I think regardless of what, you know, what your ideas of the quality of the league, which the championship is very high quality and I think underrated in many aspects. Um, but the, yeah, whatever you think of the quality, like the potential is already, 
higher. So, um, so yeah, it's kind of, kind of tough to judge, uh, anyone for, for pursuing a move like that. Um, but while we're on the topic of deadline day, the last, the last, uh, note that we had, we had a question from couch sports, Adam, just in the spirit of deadline day, you know, what is a dream signing for the club you support? Jeez. That's hard, honestly. It um, is. Cuz I always I always think when when I think about this question, it's like dream like realistic or like dream right. like I, genuinely like not never going to happen. I mean, I would say it doesn't have to be like overly realistic in this case. It could be something like that you would just a player you would want to see, you know, turn out for your team. Goodness. I don't know, Phil, you might have to go first. I might have to think about this. I feel like I, I always have the answer now that I've <laughs> asked it. I don't know. I uh yeah, I mean, in terms of like absolute dream signings, um Well, I will, I'll, I'll say this. Um, I don't know if it's even a dream signing. It's actually a dream, not sale that I wish had, had taken uh-huh. place. Okay. Um, and this is going back in time. I don't know if this makes sense. Uh, but one of the things that I always, uh, hated about the timing of Fernando Torres's, uh, transfer to Chelsea from mm. Liverpool in 2010 was that uh, Liverpool had just signed Luis Suarez. Um, what I didn't know is that they financed, they basically pre-financed the, the deal for Suarez and <clears throat> Andy Carroll with the Torres money. <laughs> um, so they had already, you know, so if they had, would they have signed Suarez if they hadn't sold Torres? I don't know. But one of the things they announced the sale of, of Suarez before the sale of Torres. And it was still like, maybe he'll stay. Mm. And I thought about the possibility of a strike partnership between for like peak Fernando Torres and young and upcoming Luis Suarez. And (laughs) we were denied that. Um, And I, and I think I think about that a lot uh, (laughs) in terms of like (laughs) what that could have been potentially, um, in in the Premier League because I think it could have been devastating with yeah, with Gerard behind them in the, in the ten like peak yeah. Gerard as well. Oh my god, that would have broke football. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I would say, and not not because I'm necessarily like in love with this player or anything, and um, but because it could have happened is Kylian Mbappe. I mean, mm. yeah. Like I joked on the podcast for he was Mbappe Latin. So <laughs> like I've known about Mbappe for so long because Wenger really tried to get him. Yeah. Um at like age fourteen, like or something crazy. Like right. he already knew he was going to be insane. Yeah. So I mean, if he ever turned out for Arsenal, like obviously that would be really cool. I mean, he is as close to Thierry Henry as as I think there is yeah. in, in football right now. So yeah. um yeah, he would he would be absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> for according to reports, he's not a dream signing for Liverpool. He could be a real signing for Liverpool. Apparently. <laughs> apparently, yeah. 
I still won't let <laughs> LeBron's my... going to make it happen. <laughs> I, I still won't let myself believe uh, that that's even possible. Um, but anyways, uh, that, that's a good question, though. Like, that's a really great question. So just appreciate everybody who who sent in transfer questions. It's clearly the hot topic. Um, Did but, we answer Jake's question? Oh, no, we didn't actually. And I didn't call it out. I got so excited about Moises Caicedo that I glossed over <laughs> the Brighton fan who follows us. Like My bad, Jake. Yeah, sorry, Jake. <laughs> so did I. Um, favorite move of the window. His is Caicedo. And of course. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, which I I uh, completely, completely get that. Um, yeah. What do is you that think? Yours? What do you think is the best or is your favorite? My fear. So, I'll stay away from Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, my favorite, and this maybe sounds like a hipster shout, but I actually really like this player. I've been tracking him for a bit because I always thought he would end up at Arsenal for whatever reason. But I really like uh, Morgan Sanson to oh, Aston yep. Villa for I think it was like seventeen million pounds or something like that. Um, Marseille are a shambles right now, so I am glad that a player that I really like from Lyon was able to move. <laughs> Um, and he's just a really like solid all round midfielder, kind of like a, almost a mid Like he likes to drift wide and he's actually a very good crosser. So maybe, and I don't mean this in any insulting way, but almost like a budget De Bruyne, I guess you could say. Um, and he'll, he'll compete for minutes, uh, with McGinn and Barkley probably. So, and he can chip in with a goal here and there too. So, um, I really like that sign. I really like Villa's transfer business in general um in the summer and now i think that they are really in the premier league to stay um and uh they probably have solidified their position just a little bit more with with uh, the sandstone signing yeah the uh keeping it keeping it in france um a move today that didn't get as much like fanfare but i think is really interesting is jean-claire tadibo uh from barcelona to nice yeah and uh the potential for him to link up. They got two loney central defenders now, uh, William Saliba and Tadebo. So they could, uh, they could link up and, and it'll be interesting to see if Nice, you know, they've struggled this year um, Mm -hmm. for consistency. So maybe the second half of the season, they could, could see a couple of young players uh, show out for them. And um, Nice have an option to buy with Tadebo as well. Right. And I've, I've read that, that, move for Todivo is because they don't expect to keep Saliba, which obviously I hope not because we've right. Arsenal have invested <laughs> a lot of money into him. So it's almost like a hedging against sure. leaving as well. So yeah, that, that's a really interesting one. He didn't really have the greatest of times at Schalke, but who, who has in right. the past two years? <laughs> who, who among us? Uh, Except maybe Weston McKinney. But yeah. Yeah. Even so, yeah, I think someone uh, someone actually discussing the Kabak signing pointed to Weston McKinney and was like, no one really thought he was a world beater at Schalke, but they were just like not good. And now he's very good at, at Juve. So um, there are there. <laughs> plenty of players who I think might look a lot better, not uh, in the Royal blue at the moment, but, um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, well, we've got tons more to talk about, uh, but we've, we've dived pretty deep here into the transfer market and uh, deadline day. So you want to uh, take a quick break and come back with the uh, Copa Libertadores final? Yeah, sounds good. Welcome back. 
Well, Mika, the Copa Libertadores final, we talked about it for a while. We were really hyped about this game. The semifinals were absolutely lit. And much like the Champions League of 2019, where the semifinals were absolutely crazy, comebacks, uh, and obviously teams from different countries playing each other, um, you get a final with two domestic teams. In this case, Santos versus Palmeiras. Palmeiras, the ultimate winners with a 99th minute goal in regular time, um, no. not extra time. And, uh, and, but the, the final itself was quite underwhelming given the buildup to it. You're being kind. It was, awful. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, really cagey affair, really not great football. Um, you know, you see an all Brazilian f- continental final and you think, okay, great. This is going to be attacking and lots of flair. And, um, just, it was not. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I feel for the players cause it was like 93 degrees at kickoff and I can't even imagine how humid it was too. in True. in the Maracanã. So they were both just kind of like, I think they were just trying to get through the game and, and it seemed like no one really wanted to obviously like make the first mistake if you will yeah um so they were kind of just canceling each other out it was very choppy lots of fouls lots of time wasting um but and and no lie (laughs) i fell asleep for like part of the second (laughs) half because i was like this is terrible but i woke up in time for like all the good stuff like if you saw the last like 10 minutes you're fine (laughs) well i guess we could talk about the drama first um (laughs) Because, yeah, as you said, lots of fouls like leading up to the game it was very, very uh, stop start throughout a um, lot of hard fouls, though, and a lot of a lot of potential kind of borderline moments, especially early on, where both teams were seemingly it seemed like trying to almost like stamp their authority um, on their opponent, like let them know that they're in for a fight. Uh, <laughs> but the red comes not from a hard tackle, not from a challenge and not to a player, but to uh, (laughs) Kuka, the Santos manager who uh, attempted to grab the ball as it went out of play for a throw to Palmeiras. The Palmeiras player tries to retrieve the ball. Kuka tries to grab it and uh, they get in a little tussle and, uh, Alan Pardew energy from from Kuka in the end uh, sent to the stands <laughs> in a cup final sent to the stands and he like um, like launches himself into the fans which I'm like that's not COVID friendly but whatever um, you know I thought it was looking back at like it was weird like I thought it was kind of harsh because like the the ball is like entering his technical area true and yes, he's he's time wasting, but maybe it should have been like a yellow. I don't know. It yeah. just seemed it seemed a bit much, but I mean, it it did make for like a laugh. So, <laughs> and to, you know, especially because he was wearing his insane like Virgin Mary T shirt. Yeah. <laughs> um, which, wow! <laughs> Apparently, this is a thing for him. Is he likes to wear like religious apparel for big matches which that's fine but yeah. it's just like i've never seen anything like that it's like ag- aggressively south american <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was very extra um and <laughs> what i loved about it was i think it's the first time that i've seen a coach appeal for var for a decision against him 
Um, <laughs> not against his team, but yeah, he is he's saying VAR and making the screen sign with his hands, um, asking for the official to look at his sending off. Uh, and <laughs> obviously the referee is like, no, like, I'm not going to go watch whatever happened. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, Kuka sent, sent to the stands and literally was in the front row, like of the stands. He was still like directing like play <laughs> yeah. and like telling his play. It was just, that was probably the best thing about the match. Nothing on the pitch really. Con Mabel, <laughs> like it, it was the final that Con Mabel deserved. Uh, maybe not the <laughs> one that it needed. Um, but the moment at the end, though, the goal from Breno is still, despite kind of how the game played out and the, the caginess of it, that ball in and the header from Breno that looped into the far corner of the net and the celebration, the reaction, all really felt like okay, this is the Libertadores. Like, this is this is what we've been waiting for. Um, and uh, and what a moment for Palmeiras as well. Yeah, I mean, poetic, you know, in the 99th minute to win their first Libertadores title since 1999. I could have written it better, you know. <laughs> um, it's a really good cross, too. Forgive me for forgetting who put the cross in, but there's just no one really getting too much pressure on the ball, and he just launches it back post and Breno Lopez is there to to loop it in and John John really had no chance to the Santos goalkeeper um and yeah just one moment of quality really showed and, uh, and at the end of the day Kuka's antics kind of backfired <laughs> as far as Opech were concerned <laughs> it uh it was Roni uh who ah, Roni, who, of course who Scored had like the ball goals. in and yeah and had an unbelievable <laughs> impact on the semifinal uh delivers that bit of quality to win the final um as you said uh you know 21 years since since their last uh right 21 yeah 21 years yeah. since their last uh continental final their last Libertadores um and uh, their manager, uh, Abel Ferreira, um, only the uh, third ever foreign manager to win the Libertadores. That's quite the achievement. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, Brazilian football is becoming like a, I mean, natural landing place, I guess, for a lot of the, the Portuguese up and coming coaches. Of course, you think of Jorge Jesus with Mingo and, and of course, Abel Ferreira now. Um and then I didn't know this prior to the game, but they were talking about kind of like foreign coaches in South America. And I guess there was a Croatian coach that won Libertadores with Colo Colo. I'm forgetting his name. Oh and my maybe God. I made that up completely, but um, I just thought that was really interesting. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, congratulations <laughs> to to uh, Abel Ferreira. It's interesting you bring up Colo Colo because uh, the... Um Mercoach, that was the manager. He won Libertadores in 1991. Wow. With Colo Colo. Who, by the way, Colo Colo are fighting relegation right now. Just FYI. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, massive club in, in Chile and, uh, and yeah, potentially about to get relegated, which is insane. Um, it would literally be if, like, 
Ajax got relegated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, seismic. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. genuinely unbelievable. Um, but I think at the end of this, like, despite, obviously, it's a huge accomplishment for Palmeiras, and it really can't be overstated. Like, this is not a team that is winning you know, continental titles perennially. It's been, it's been quite a while. Um, and they've played second fiddle to Santos for, for a while as well. Santos, uh, on the other hand, have to look at this game, especially with the, with the amount of momentum that they brought into this game from the semifinal. They have to look at this as a massive missed opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, I picked Santos to edge Palmeiras in this one, just because I thought Santos had more attacking, threat about them and they spread the goals around they had Jefferson Sotelo is in great form and Marino who was getting destroyed maybe that put him off his game <laughs> as far as some of the tackles that he was on the end of but yeah I mean it was just really tepid and disappointing and um I don't I don't know it was a really disappointing display really from both teams to be fair but at the end of the day at least Palmeiras we're trying to create something and, and end it in, 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 you know, regulation and not go into extra time in, in a sweltering heel heat. Um, but yeah, Santos are, they'll be looking at this one with huge disappointment, them and, and their fans. But I mean, the title stays in Brazil. So I think it's a, you know, a net positive for Brazilian football. Yeah, and and the disappointment mounts for Santos, who have not had the best league campaign in in mm. the in Brazil either, um, and actually are in eleventh uh, in yeah. the Campeonato, um, and they uh, Palmeiras sixth, so not not the most glowing. But I think we often see you know teams that go on continental runs sometimes suffer um, domestically. Um, right. and for those interested Internacional and Flamengo are the, are the top two in, in Brazil right now. So, um, and just five or sorry, six match days remaining, um, in the, I quite like Serie Gremio Austin. myself. So yeah. Internacional at the top of the league is annoying. Yeah. Gremio, <laughs> Gremio down in seventh, uh, unfortunately, uh, not, not the most glowing campaign, um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, glory for Palmeiras, uh, on the, on the international stage. Um, but in the American, in, in against Brazilian opponents. Um, uh, so, uh, it, yeah, not the most glowing advert for the Libertadores, but I guess it had to, it had to calm down after the madness of the semifinals. Yeah, I guess it could, I guess that wasn't sustainable. <laughs> um, well, I guess uh, we'll kind of resume our st- our normal programming now, and we've got the Premier <laughs> League, lots of it. We've got tons of European football to talk about, but the Premier League um, had a, a few interesting uh, a few interesting results this weekend, and we want to start, I think, with Chelsea's win over Burnley. Not the most surprising thing, uh, given you know obviously the level of the two teams, but. Thomas Tuchel's first victory as Chelsea manager and done in a pretty in pretty impressive fashion against Burnley, who had been getting some decent results, obviously uh, a win at Anfield recently. So um, not not the most uh, like taken for granted result, um, but Chelsea looked impressive in this one. Yeah, they did. And I thought that um, 
the setup was really interesting. It's something I don't think we've seen since Conte with the 3-4-3 and kind of utilizing wingbacks. I don't think anyone would have expected that the two goal scorers would be like aging Spanish fullbacks in um, (laughs) Marcos Alonso and and Cesar Aspilicueta. But I mean, fair play to them, I guess. Um, They're both really nice finishes, to be fair. Yeah. Um, So... I mean, obviously, so much is being made of of Thomas Tuchel's team selection that it's, to me, it's, like, insane. Like, he has not been there long enough to really, like, tell who is definitely not in his plans and and, and otherwise. Um, What I will say, though, and it's something that I always just kind of annoyed me about Frank Lampard is that he did not use Callum Hudson-Odoi nearly as much as I thought he would, and he absolutely ran this game. Yeah. Um, just showing why Bayern Munich wanted him so badly. I mean, he his his understanding of space, the runs he makes, the passes into the box, the cutbacks are always where they need to be. He's just so intelligent, and, and Burnley really couldn't deal with it. Um, so, you know, he doesn't score any of the goals, but, I mean, I thought he was man of the match for me, honestly. Yeah, he looked he looked every, like you said, you know, every bit the player that, that Bayern were in for. Um the other thing I really liked about this team selection was the fact, and it didn't, it didn't result in anything and it didn't like, um, you know, it didn't change any of the narrative or anything like that around Timo Werner, but, um, the way that the team attacked and the shape in possession, he was playing like off of Tammy Abraham. Yeah. And I think, it started to look reminiscent of how he's played previously in successful Leipzig setups with, uh, with the likes of Polson. Um, and so I just like, it started to look familiar and like, look like, okay, these are the type of areas that Timo Werner should be in. These are the type of situations that he should be in. Um, him and Tammy Abraham were trying to create for each other. It doesn't, you know, turn into a goal, but they do create a few chances. Um, and I think you'll start to see the better side of, of, of Werner now that he is in this like team that resembles what something that he might've done at, at Leipzig. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I, uh, I noticed Kai Havertz, he comes on in the 80th minute. Obviously, like I just said, it's too early to, to really say, oh, Tuchel hates this person, Tuchel <laughs> really likes this person. But, I mean, do we worry at all about Kai? Because the balance of the midfield, it just looks like, at times, like it's a little bit better without him, just because he is kind of that, you know, almost... I mean, like a really languid number 10 type, mesonosal mm-hmm. type, you know, obviously more modern, more of a, you know, more of a goal threat, a little bit more mobile and and stuff, more of like a Michael Ballack, I guess. But do we worry at all? Because <laughs> I think Werner is, I think he's just out of form and out of confidence, but is, has Havertz starting to maybe look like just not a fit? Like we kind of thought. I worry about him every day. <laughs> I think about this all the time. I, I, it really concerns me because, and I think, I think it just speaks to for, for Havertz, the adjustment to coming into this Chelsea team and facing the amount of competition for places and the amount of scrutiny in your performances. 
it just wasn't like that for him at Leverkusen. Like, yeah, he was in the side all the time because he was a difference maker. And Bosch also, I think Peter, Peter Bosch will, I think he is kept up at night by like, the usage of Kai Havertz, like well, out. he has said publicly, like I don't really understand what the plan is for him at Chelsea. Yeah, <laughs> which so same. So yeah, I just I I do worry because I think I don't think he's really yeah being fostered in the in a way that's that's useful for for his career. Um, I'm not sure what the answer is because Tuchel's. Tuchel's approach is obviously pretty intense. So Havertz's mm-hmm. approach may need to adapt to his new his new boss. Um otherwise we're gonna get subjected to um new metal new metal uh uh number ten Mason Mount, <laughs> um, you know, corn uh Mason Mount. <laughs> His hair was a bit interesting. <laughs> his 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 chin beard or whatever. I was like, is it 2007 already? Like, what's happening? <laughs> I I just had no idea what was going on there. And he also, you know, skied like 47 shots. He reminds me a lot of like a bad version of Coutinho at Liverpool. <laughs> Although, I mean, shooting wise, yes. Yeah. But I think actually... Mason Mount might be a player that really the people again. These, there's this narrative coming out that Tuchel like does not like him, which is insane. Like, <laughs> that is, there's no evidence of that whatsoever. I actually think Mason Mount can probably crack on under Tuchel because he's a hard runner. Yeah, and that's what Tuchel wants. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, good good signs I think for for the new boss. Yeah, they create a bunch of chances and actually limited Burnley to one shot that was not on target. So they, um, yeah. Now, part of that is Dyche's fault, but <laughs> and like just not playing. But um, another another really big result. This one may be a little more little more seismic in terms of the upset, um, but. Newcastle went to Goodison Park and got a 2-0 win courtesy of two Callum Wilson goals. This is a huge result for Newcastle because, I mean, everyone knows Steve Bruce, their manager, has really been under intense scrutiny in the Northeast. The fans just do not like him. They think that they play trash football, which they do. Um, and, And look what happens when you attack. Like, when you actually try to to score goals. They've got talent in that side that can do that. And, and Callum Wilson, you know, bags of race and he was very, very good. And, and he can be very good as long. It's always been about fitness for him and and whether he can, you know, not get injured and and out for a long period of time. Um, I, I mean, I think if he keeps it up and if he can manage to stay healthy, he might be like an outside shout for the euros. Um, I don't know, but, uh, yeah, huge result for Newcastle. Um, and Everton really just didn't show up. I mean, I don't know. It was, it was very strange and and at home as well. So, uh, just a rethink from Achilati, obviously. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing for Newcastle, I think is, yeah, the availability of Callum Wilson and Alan Samaximen will are directly tied Mm -hmm. to where they'll end up in the league. Um, 
Ryan Fraser was not terrible by any stretch of the imagination um, in this one, but the second that Sam Maximan was introduced, like Newcastle had a completely different feel and mm-hmm. Wilson's both of Wilson's goals come after his substitution. Um, and I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, And, and then on the Everton side, I just like, you know, it's, it's more or less the team that was doing all of these good things at the beginning of the season. Um, but Dominic Calvert-Lewin's goals have dried up. Um, and the positions that he's, that he's getting into, you know, maybe just not as conducive to the way he plays and, um, teams may be figuring out how to, how to sit deep. I mean, Newcastle, um, you know, Newcastle soak up the pressure here. They only have 39% of the ball, um, but are pretty much equal in terms of, you know, chance creation with, with Everton. So, um, maybe Everton getting used to playing, uh, against teams who now, treat them with a little more respect as an attacking unit and, and defend deeper. <laughs> Maybe so. Yeah. And it's, it's funny cause you look at Everton's recent results and it doesn't look actually that bad, but I think if you look at the underlying statistics, it does show that they are in a bit of a slump because they, you know, in the fixture before this, they were battered <laughs> by Leicester city and it yeah. ended up a draw, but trust me when I say, they were destroyed. Like Leicester should have scored like four or five goals. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and and they come up against Leeds next, who took a big scalp this week as well. So yeah, yeah, and of that same <laughs> of that same Leicester club. <laughs> um, right. So yeah, I mean, we can talk about let's let's talk about Leeds Leicester. Um, that this was not a result that anyone necessarily saw coming in terms, you know, not to say that Leeds aren't capable of something like this, but Lester had, had been so impressive. Um, and Leeds come out with a, uh, with a just very efficient, uh, three, one win, um, where Lester had the bulk of the opportunities, um, but leads the ones who finish him off. It was the Stuart Dallas opener, Patrick Bamford um, with the second and, uh, and Jack Harrison with the dagger towards the end after Harvey Barnes had opened the scoring for Lester. Um, really good result for Leeds in terms of, you know, just needing to pick up some points, but um, a, a big result against a team that was really flying yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think it's always possible that Leicester can have results like these when you don't have Jamie Vardy. And I think in um, to a certain extent, Leicester kind of got beat at their own game in this one in terms of like lightning counterattacks, because that's what Leeds did. Um, but for me, this match is about uh, Patrick Bamford, Viva La Bam. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was really, really good. Um, every time I watch this lead side, I just, I can see why Marcelo Bielsa loves him so much. Cause mm-hmm. he is just like a team first guy. Like, I mean, even the last goal, he squares it Yeah. to, uh, Jack Harrison for the third. So, I mean that he runs his socks off, he scores as well. Um, 
uh, you know, maybe on the same vein as Callan Wolfson, maybe like an outside, outside shout for the Euros for England. Um, yeah. Because he's, I, there was a point made on the Football Weekly podcast that I thought was really interesting about Patrick Bamford is that he's probably, of all of England's strikers, probably the most similar to Kane, um, which I can kind of see that. I mean, they, they still yeah. are quite different, but I think if you were to compare all of England's strikers, they, they share a lot as well. Um, so, right. and, and we know that Kane is not extremely durable, so <laughs> who knows? Maybe. Right. Maybe he can play himself into to Gareth Southgate's plans, but um, yeah, I I'm just really impressed with him as as I usually am when I watch Leeds United. And this is a this was their first like big team that they beat yeah uh, in the Premier League this season. So yeah, they've played him. some good games um, against the big teams. You know that opening day loss Liverpool, against Liverpool, yeah. uh, you know sticks out. But um, but yeah, for them to to get a result like this against a team that was in such form as as Leicester is is uh, obviously really encouraging. Um, they're looking obviously, you know, they're quite a distance from safety. I don't think anyone's really concerned about that. the The question was always, you know, can Bielsa get this team, you know, towards the top half, or you know, how yeah. where do they really fall? And I think. Um, not even this season, but next season will be so will be so intriguing for you know what this Leeds project um, for Bielsa really really is. Yeah, and you know i I think um, I give a lot of credit to Villa for their transfer business, but I think Leeds too have bought pretty smartly. I think uh, Rodrigo has been a good buy, and he's mm-hmm. been someone who has been pretty flexible tactically too. Whether he's playing as one of the forwards or, or deeper in midfield, he's done both those jobs. Um, he looked like he tweaked his groin in this one though. So mm. we'll have to keep an eye on that. But, uh, Rafinha too, yeah. um, came in from Stefan and I think he's been very good adding just more of that pace and, and flair that, that mm. Beals sides are known for. So yeah, I think if Leeds can continue to invest well, um, and, and yeah, they can, hopefully stay up and not suffer like an insane second season syndrome of the, uh, like <laughs> Sheffield United or someone. But uh, right. I think the league's better when Leeds is in it. Yeah. Um, well, moving to your, your club, this was, this was a match that, that we kind of hyped up. Everybody kind of hyped up Arsenal, Manchester United, uh, and one of a string of games that we hyped up that uh, ended nil, nil uh, or, <laughs> one nil, I guess in the case of, uh, RB Leipzig Leverkusen, but, um, but yeah, Arsenal, Manchester United, nil, nil at, uh, the Emirates, not for lack of chances necessarily, but there wasn't a lot of kind of clear cut opportunities for, for either side. Yeah. It's, um, definitely fine margins in this one i've heard some people say oh this was entertaining for a draw and like for me i i I mean i'm obviously invested in this match so i can never really enjoy it as much as maybe a neutral (laughs) might but i didn't really think it was like the greatest football ever i think both sides kind of looked okay with like sharing the points um this this rivalry i think has definitely lost some luster over the years obviously given the relative states of uh both clubs but um yeah I, I people there were some united fans saying like oh my god Cavani like how could he miss some of the and it's like have you ever watched Edinson Cavani like he's always been a 
high volume yeah. striker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, and that's he's always a, been this way. <laughs> I think I think their small sample size of him is is like misleading almost. Um because he's, he's had these spoiled. He's had these games where he's just like so lethal. Um and yeah. And he can be like, you know, obviously like he's, he's showed up in some massive games throughout his career. Um, but that's not, that's not him day in and day out. Like if you watched him at, at PSG or, or even before, you know, um, Palermo. It, it, yeah, Palermo or, or Napoli, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. Volume guy and, and always, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. And he, I mean, in Arsenal's case too, we, we definitely lacked, something with both Bukayo Saka and, and Kieran Tierney not able to play. So, I mean, towards the end of it, like myself and some of my friends who are also fans were like, oh, we're kind of okay with this. I mean, it keeps the, the you know, undefeated streak going and just, you know, it doesn't kill momentum necessarily. So, sure, eh, whatever. <laughs> I think I think the big thing for me is, uh, you know, I think we know that Arsenal is obviously kind of in this long-term project and, and they've stuck by, they've stuck by Arteta. Um, not a yeah. whole lot of big like flying ambitions or anything. He's not about to be, you know, lamparted out or anything, but the, oh, um, God, he's a verb now. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, on the other side, I thought it was really interesting that United did seem content with a draw away to another, you know, traditional big side, um, and yeah, not dissimilar from from what took place at Anfield, and that does concern. You know, if I'm thinking from a from a United fans perspective, at some point, if you want to win titles, like if you want to win stuff, yeah, you can. Like, there's the old adage of like beat the dross, win the league type thing, but at some point, mm-hmm. you've got to beat your direct rivals. Like you can't just draw your way to trophies. Not, not in this league, not the way that city are playing, not the way that Liverpool have been, you know, over the last couple of seasons, at some point they're going to have to come out and try to win one of these games. Yeah. And I mean, I think uh, some of these draws too, I think I spoke about it before is I think that, um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's, approach is not necessarily one that's like tactically intricate it's uh, it's more about individuals and you know sometimes individuals don't show up and I mean I my first thought is Marcus Rashford I thought he was very casual in possession I mean to be fair to him he was on the right which I don't think he particularly enjoys he looked actually kind of annoyed um so you know when guys like that are not showing up um individuals like that are not showing up i mean it can just not be their day and and cavani like i said you know lots of chances one there's one that was like an open net (laughs) right you know like on another day he might put that away and that's the other thing about winning the league too is there is luck involved um and and i mean manchester united i think we can say they've gotten plenty of help but they're not helping themselves sometimes I uh I have to give a shout out and and apologies to the United fans uh listening but I do have to give a shout out to the meme that I saw making the rounds on football Twitter earlier um that showed uh Bruno Fernandes in a uh sporting kit 
and their league uh, position at the time of his sale. They were fourth. Um, and then uh, a picture of him in a United kit and the fact and the picture of the Portuguese league table and the fact that sporting are top. Um, and uh, the tweet just said, sometimes you have to sell the dead wood. Damn. <laughs> Which is obviously is trying to get a, a rise out of United fans, but uh, Sporting, shout out to Sporting, they are top of the the Portuguese league at the moment uh, by four points over Porto. So credit credit where it's due. But yeah, that's uh, I thought that was funny. I'm a little mad at Bruno right now, anyway, because he like raked Shaka's Achilles. Oh and, yeah, like, we nothing was given. Didn't even really. If talk that about was the- Shaka, that would be like a deportation. <laughs> Yeah, he would have been sent straight back to Albania, not even to Switzerland. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, that's uh, gosh. Yeah, I did, didn't even mention the fact that, yeah, he probably shouldn't have been on the field um, for, for a majority. But um, but it does end in that that nil nil draw, um, I guess, sticking to our clubs. Liverpool uh, in in the London Stadium in, in, against West Ham three uh, one little unfortunate to concede late on but uh, first yeah. half game of two halves I guess as as you as you often see um, first half pretty dull Liverpool kind of looking a little flat not really creating a whole ton um, second half they came out of the blocks actually flying and like whatever tweak. Uh, Klopp made seem to be working the introduction of Curtis Jones, then three goals and, uh, and Liverpool pretty comfortable winners of, in this one. Yeah. Yeah. Liverpool were excellent. And I mean, that Salah finish that touch and the finish for his second was just disgusting. I think that, uh, I think Salah has given up all pretense of being a winger. I think he's just straight up a, a forward, mm-hmm. like a, a goal scorer. And I think he gets, I think greedier, but I mean that in a good way, like sure. as he, as his Liverpool career continues. Um, so yeah, he was excellent. He looks like he's, he's back to his best. Trent Alexander Arnold looked really good in the second half. Um, that, that ball out to Shakiri was mental. I mean, yeah. that's just, that's the Trent that you, that, that Liverpool fans I think are, have been used to, um, that they haven't seen too much this season. So hopefully that's the end of his kind of, poor form um but yeah Liverpool were just really good and they took care of of West Ham and they've been they've been devastating in the, in the capital <laughs> yeah Liverpool have so good on them yeah yeah they uh yeah London seems to be happy hunting grounds for them and uh and there's something about quick counters that they love uh to do at the London Stadium in particular but um that goal I will say uh that counter attack that for the second and the solid touch um, that is for me, one of the best goals that Liverpool have scored in the Klopp era. Um, because that initial pass out from, from Trent to Shakiri is amazing. The ball over the top from Shakiri, he hits it first time. He doesn't take a touch like before he plays this, this looping ball over the top that lands right on Salah's foot. And then the touch to control it and then to take the shot immediately. Like he controls it with his right and takes the shot with the outside of his left. Like it's unbelievable in its execution, like from, from front to back. Um, I could talk about that goal for a while. 
Um, we talked a bunch about, <laughs> we talked a bunch about, uh, about Rochich's goal for Valencia last week. And this is my, this is my goal to like talk about this week. That's um, insane. yeah. And then, uh, shout out on the third to Bobby Firmino got, got introduced and he's been, you know, kind of in for some criticism, like on the whole this season. Um, and, uh, assists Jeannie Wijnaldum on the third with, uh, the 35th pass of that move, um, Damn. from Liverpool. <laughs> so yeah, quite the sequence. Um, and, uh, yeah, just a, just a really great performance and really against a team that like, it should be said, West Ham had a chance to go I mean, above Liverpool like with a win. Top of the table clash, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which just like. Yeah. What world are we in? Yeah. West Ham would have would have gone up to fourth like if they like they would have gone above Liverpool if they had won. So yeah, that's the the stakes, I guess. West Ham in the Champions League. Oh my god. It. David Moyes in the Champions League would be <laughs> horrifying. Um and uh I guess the last the last result, lots of lots of big ones in the in the Premier League, but this last one I'm uh, yeah, we spoke about Brighton earlier, but Brighton one nil winners against Tottenham um, down on the coast and Trossard gets the lone goal in the 17th minute. But this, the story of this game was not like the other ones where it's like, okay, similar shot volume kind of even, and you know, the better team one sort of thing. Brighton in theory could have, could have run away with this, could have had three or four um, and Spurs didn't really offer a whole lot like in, in, you know, answer to that. Yeah. I mean, it's getting to the point with Spurs where like the, the tactics are just unwatchable. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I don't go out of my way to watch Spurs anyway, but I mean, for the neutral, even like, how do you, I I just don't know. Like, I, I really feel like football is passing Jose Mourinho by, dare I say that. Um, just negative tactics and 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 no Harry Kane, obviously, because he did both his ankles trying to injure Jordan Henderson. So, yeah. <laughs> oh well. Um, and so, I mean, the only other like consistent goal scorer in the side is Human Son, and I think that's a lot of pressure to put on one person. I mean, he can handle yeah. it. He's one of the best players in the world, but. I mean, Vinicius and, and Steven Bergwijn and, like, all those others are just not contributing as much as you would like because they're, sh- you know, shackled by this mm-hmm. this tactical setup. And it's just, like, I, I don't understand how Spurs fans can take this. It's <laughs> – I think it was a very short-sighted appointment from the start, and I think it's we're starting to see, like, why that is because <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just bad football. Um just all the way around but but credit to brighton because they play some really good stuff and for once they were rewarded for it and uh it's a big goal for leandro Tosad personally because i think he'd gone like 12 games without a goal or something like that and he's a player that i i really like um so yeah and it, it probably could have been a bit more with just a bit more clinical finishing from Connolly. McAllister had a couple chances he's another player i really like too but i think i think the coach needs to kind of take him aside and speak to him about where he's taking these shots. Cause a lot of them are from very low percentage areas. I, yeah. I respect the effort for sure, but 
he just needs a little bit of refining in, in kind of the decision-making areas, I think. But uh, it's an absolutely fi- great result for Brighton and their first home win in the Premier League this season. Which is crazy because the the quality that they've showed uh, just, it doesn't, it seems almost, you know, like cognitive dissonance uh, that they haven't <laughs> won at home yeah. yet for how good they've been in some of those games. Um, and then, you know, you think back to some of the, the incidents that have befallen them. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah. Um, elsewhere in the Premier League, just a couple of, a couple of results we didn't touch on. Uh, Palace beat Wolves 1-0. Eberechi as he gets the, uh, gets the lone goal for, for Crystal Palace and a good one too. Um, just continuing his, his good, uh, vein of form in recent recent months um man city uh keep the pace at the top of the table with a one nil win over sheffield united uh west brom and fulham um played to a 2-2 draw in the battle of of two teams who are looking increasingly destined for for the drop um villa beat southampton one nil which is actually obviously a quality result given how well southampton's played recently um and uh yeah villa just continuing to be ross barkley grabbing the goal um in a game though that it must be said southampton dominated <laughs> but but yeah, villa and there was some like var controversy wasn't there uh yeah what what was it about this one um something about maddie cash's ass and someone else's arm oh yeah yeah <laughs> it was uh ings offside i think um by oh like his whatever shirt sleeve. Um, Oh my God. So yeah, yeah, that, that, that's right. So, so yeah, Villa benefit from that. Um, And uh, yeah, I think we talked about the rest. So the standings as, as they are city, city top United second, Liverpool third um, and uh, city top by three points with a game in hand over United as well. So a little bit of a gap appearing there uh Leicester City in fourth West Ham fifth Tottenham sixth Chelsea seventh Everton eighth Aston Villa ninth Arsenal tenth um and then down towards the bottom really Brighton uh 17th just above the drop zone but on 21 points Fulham 18th with only 14 so a seven point gap um from uh safety for Fulham and then West Brom uh, and Sheffield United below them. Um, Yeah. The, the great escape is not looking like it's on really for anybody, uh, especially if Brighton start, start picking up even more points um, that could spell trouble for, for the teams towards the bottom. Yeah. I think they're doomed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're, we're all it's halfway through the season we've already seen the relegation <laughs> like who's getting relegated <laughs> um like the opposite of last season i guess uh in we knew who was going to win the title uh early on um well you want to just uh quickly move on to the our other leagues that we're reviewing i uh we've got la liga first and yeah. um Atleti, the leaders, uh, get a four-two win over Cardiff, and uh, which is like on its face a, a fine result, kind of a normal result. 
This was very nearly not a a, uh, a win for Atleti as Cadiz put some put some pressure on him late, and uh, a couple of the, the a couple of our own Negredo goals like called this win into doubt for a period of time. Um, but Atleti's quality shown through. They win four two. Um, Luis Suarez with a brace. Saul and Coque uh, both added goals as well. Yeah, Atleti. Um, you know, as I kind of outlined here they record 50 points at the halfway mark for the second time in their history since uh the 13-14 season you know for perspective Real Madrid have only done this once so you know Atletico firmly in the driver's seat in 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 the title race in in Spain and they go 10 points clear of Real Madrid who uh are in the mud (laughs) and yeah I like the the one thing I will say about this, so I spoke about Luis Suarez in that in that hypothetical with with Fernando Torres. Yeah. One thing that that uh, about this game, he scores a lovely free kick goal. That his set piece or his his free kick taking, I think, has always been a very underrated part of his game, and mm-hmm. we didn't see it very often at Barcelona because of one Leo, Lionel Messi, like obviously. Yeah. But now that he's out from underneath that, we could see like free kick Louis Luisito again because uh, you know, as his you know, as he's getting a little bit older and everything, good way for him to impact games, uh, you know, when he might not have the legs for it anymore. Yeah, and he might challenge his old buddy Leo and in, in the Pichichi. I think it's like thirteen gold or something in fourteen games, something insane like that. Um yeah. You know, not looking so washed up after all, Barca. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the really interesting thing about Negredo's goals is that one is really nice and one is just a total, like, bundle over the line that Oblak somehow doesn't get to. Um, but that first curler was, was vintage that, Negredo. That goal is not a screamer, but it is insane. Like, the yeah. power, but also the accuracy. Yeah. To be... For me, the best goalkeeper in the world, um, Negredo, the you know Middlesbrough legend, <laughs> doing it in in Andalusia for Cadiz. So yeah, love to see it. Well, as you said, Atleti Atleti stay top, and uh, Cadiz now up to thirteenth. So um, definitely a good result for uh, for them. Um, the shock of the weekend. It's turning into less of a shock recently with yeah. Real Madrid. Levante with a 2-1 win. Um, Real Madrid put under pressure immediately by Eder Militao, who was sent off in the ninth minute. Um, And uh, from there, Madrid took the lead through Marco Asensio, but then uh, two goals, um, two really quality goals from Levante. uh, And uh, they they get the win. Um, Roger Marty... 12 minutes from from the final whistle sealing it for for Levante. Yeah, it was a really nice goal from Roger and he makes up for having missed a penalty earlier. So Yeah, yeah just a, a good goal for or a good result for Levante and Real Madrid just just no consistency right now and I, I you know, again, I'd let your 10 points clear. I just don't know how they can make up that ground. Yeah. And for all of the talk at the at, throughout this season of Barcelona and the crisis and all of the things that are swirling around that club. Um, a win 
for Barcelona, uh, a late, uh, well, not late, but a, a, a win, uh, a tough fought win against athletic Bilbao who had just defeated Barcelona in the Supercopa, um, actually takes Barca level on points with Real Madrid. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're marching up the table and I mean, it doesn't matter what, what or who is trying to take down Leo Messi. He just shows why he makes that stupid amount that you saw get leaked by yeah. El Mundo this week. <laughs> I mean, the, the free kick I started, like I told you, Phil, I started writing out the goal tweet before he hit it. Cause I just knew, Yeah, you just know when Messi's in that position, there is a very high chance it's going in. Um, just an in- insane goal. And, and then, and then Griezmann scores the, the uh, winner for, uh, with a really good team goal, really something that I guess we have been missing from Barca, and uh, Mingueta is actually the one that that squares for him, which I which I thought was kind of nice because I thought he was getting targeted very heavily by Athletic Club on that right side. Yeah, um, Mingueta not not naturally a right back, more of a center back. So um, yeah, at the end of the day, a, a good result for Barca, and I always love this fixture. Barca Athletic Club it's always a, a spirited affair, and yeah. I don't know that Athletic Club will be too too upset. I think Marcelino is done really well um to start his tenure there and uh, they'll just have to move on yeah um you mentioned Lionel Messi's contract and so (laughs) the leak and uh El Mundo claiming like the Spanish newspaper claiming that they they got a hold of his contract and saying that he was being paid a, a a maximum of close to like 560 million euros a year or or over four seasons. Sorry. Like a hundred something million a year. Um, if he met all these different conditions and all this stuff, um, what did you make of, of the timing of all of this? And, and you know, what, what's the, what's the play here? Like why, why now? And, and why is all this kind of coming to light? And, do these figures like shock you at all? I mean, <laughs> they are very hard for my simple brain to comprehend. I mean, like <laughs> I cannot even imagine what you would do with all this money. Like that is just insane. But at the same time, like he is the greatest football player to ever, yeah. you know, step on the pitch, arguably, or for me anyway. And yeah. It's not, it's not arguable for me. I think he is the best ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the timing is very interesting because, you know, Barcelona's accounts had just recently come out showing they've got like a billion dollars in debts. Um, a lot of those are short term debts. Um, so not great. <laughs> and uh, obviously with Messi announcing that he wanted to leave. I mean, I do think this is a coordinated PR attack on him to, sh- to kind of, you know, suggest that he is the problem at Barcelona, which is insane he's the farthest thing from the problem at Barcelona they'd be a irrelevant club without him <laughs> over the past couple seasons um and you know anyone who wants to demonize the player for these numbers and for this contract I mean he he signed the contract that he was offered Barcelona are a very prestigious savvy business organization they know what they're doing when they give out these or I mean maybe they don't but <laughs> they should know what they're doing <laughs> when they give out contracts like these I mean you know, it's his his renewal and his loyalty bonus fee put together is just over Coutinho's transfer fee. So, I mean, like, 
is that really that big of a deal? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> He's more worth it than any of these signings have been. So, or Griezmann, you know? So, I yeah. mean, yeah, I do feel like it's a, it's meant to cast him in a bad light and say, look, he's the problem. And if, if we get rid, it's actually Barcelona is going to be the winner here. Cause if we get the, this gigantic contract off our books, right. Um, trying to do some damage control ahead of his probable departure. Yeah. And Barcelona are saying that they're not responsible for the league and they'll be taking legal action. But it's like, how could you not be unless you were hacked, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. I don't believe that though, but I guess we'll see. Yeah. Um, the, the other uh, results around La Liga, um, Huesca get a 3-1 win over Valladolid uh, and Rafa Mir grabs a hat trick. Uh, so, yeah, an interesting, <laughs> interesting uh, result out there for Huesca. Um, Sevilla 2-0 over Abar. Um, Valencia get a 1-0 win over Elche um, and Daniel Voss, the, uh, the lone goal scorer in that one. Um. We talked about this last week, I think, or within the last couple of weeks, and uh, it happened again. Uh, Alexander Isak scores for Sociedad in a 1-1 draw with Villarreal, and uh, he continues his run of goal-scoring form. Villarreal led, and he scored a 93rd-minute equalizer, but again, Isak scores and no win for Sociedad. The... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is really unfortunate for the player. Are we willing this into existence by constantly talking about it? I, I'm not trying to make it happen. It's I'm just pointing out just that thing. it's a thing. Like, I don't know. It's just something that's happening. Um, I guess we'll see. <laughs> It'll be a big event when Isaac scores in a win. Um, uh, Hatafe and Alaves uh, played to a nil-nil draw, as did Granada and uh, Celta Vigo. Um, and then Real Betis, what's that? FYI, Aspas is healthy again. Ah, yep. For for Celta Vigo, so. Big news. Um, yeah, for Celta. And then, uh, Real Betis, uh, with a one nil win over Osasuna today. Um, in when I don't uh, watch, they win. It's fucking (laughs) annoying. (laughs) And it was, uh, Borja Iglesias with the winner. Um, good goal too, with the, the chip, um, first time. Um, which yeah. always lovely, uh, to see, to see a goal like that. Um, yeah, looking, looking through the table. So as we said, Atleti top by a distance, 10 points with a game in hand over Barca and Real Madrid. So could go as high as 13, um, when they play that game in hand, uh, Sevilla down in fourth, um, just on the heels of Barca and Real, Villarreal in fifth, Sociedad sixth, uh, Betty seventh, and Granada eighth, Levante ninth, and Celta in tenth. Um, and then down there towards the bottom, Osasuna actually climb out of the drop zone, and that relegation battle continues to just be extremely tight at the yeah. bottom. Um, Abar, Valladolid, Osasuna, Alaves, El- Elche, and Huesca all within four points of each other. Um, so yeah, absolutely crazy at the bottom. It feels like it'll feel unfair whoever gets relegated. Yeah. <laughs> whoever, whoever, it just yeah, they don't deserve it. Um, whoever it ends up being, um, it, yeah, absolutely wild uh, in La Liga. Well, I guess 
do you want to take one more break and then we'll come back and close out with the last couple of uh, leagues and, and our, uh, our playlist additions. Sound. Welcome back. Mika, the, uh, the Bundesliga this weekend, the top matches didn't really live up to the billing, but there's a couple of teams that have like rocketed up the table, um, in, in recent weeks. And, uh, first I want to call attention to, well, you know what? First let's talk about Wolfsburg. Yeah. They're third in the Bundesliga and good value for it as well. Um, they get a three nil win, uh, over Freiburg and, uh, John Brooks, the American grabs a, uh, grabs a goal as does the ever present Vout Veghorst, who we mentioned earlier. Um, and Yannick Gerhardt seals the seals, the win late in the 85th minute, but Wolfsburg, um, are, they've won three on, on the bounce and they're just looking very impressive right now. Yeah, they're third in the Bundesliga right now, if I'm not mistaken. And I have, I have to admit, I have not been paying attention to them, and I probably should because <laughs> they are playing some good stuff right now. Their only two losses this season have come against Bayern and Dortmund. So I mean, yeah. an extremely respectable um, return. And and Veghorst is a joke. I mean, 13 goals, one assist in 19 league matches. I mean, he's just a monster. Yeah. <laughs> the, the six six uh, Dutchman. Um, and, uh, Wolfsburg actually gave us a shout right on Twitter for complimenting their striker. Yeah. So that was our, our clout (laughs) via Phil. (laughs) Yeah. The, uh, I wish anything in my life was as consistent as about Vakehorst. Um, (laughs) what did they say? They were like true though or something (laughs) like facts. Like (laughs) I, uh, I, yeah, I mean, they've obviously drawn quite a bit, um, but yeah, to only lose twice, I mean, that's, you know, tied with Bayern and Eintracht for the least amount of defeats um, in the league. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's found them up in up in rarefied air, uh, you know, bringing bringing back memories of that famous title winning uh, 08, 09 Wolfsburg team that that featured Grafic and uh, and. I think and Dante Jekyll. and Ed and Jekyll, yeah, unbelievable yeah. Uh, side, obviously, and and uh, <laughs> maybe a distance from that, but they, uh, yeah, they continue to impress. And um, the other, the other team that yeah we've talked highly of recently, but they sit fourth is Eintracht, and uh, they get a three-one win against Hertha. And Hertha, I, I almost feel bad for it at this point because. Piontek grabs the opener in this one and the reaction of the entire Hertha bench, the whole playing squad, they all sprint over to the manager. They are clearly overjoyed. I mean, even Genduzzi's in on the action. Like he's not even a permanent member and he's, he's like, <laughs> uh, you know, losing his mind locks flowing in the wind and, uh, and, not even a minute later, Andre Silva has the ball in the back of the net for Eintracht and all of that emotion being poured out then almost felt like it felt like it was in vain 
for Hertha and they never recovered from it. And Frankfurt end up with this comfortable three, one win. Um, Hertha just too caught up in, in, in the, in the moment, in the occasion. Yeah. I think they thought the job was done, but it was only like (laughs) the 65th minute or something like that. When the game, when the goal went in, um, I mean, on one hand, you can understand it because they've just been like bereft of any positivity lately. They've lost five now on the bouts and having only scored three goals in that stretch. So it must have felt weird for them to go ahead. But at the end of the day, they are professionals and it just simply wasn't good enough to concede pretty much immediately and then collapse. Um, I think Paul Dardai coming in for Bruno Labadia hasn't had that like immediate effect that I think Hertha were hoping for. Um, so yeah, it, it, and they have Bayern on Friday. So. <laughs> That's always like, great for the confidence. Uh, yeah. when, when you come up against Bayern. Yeah. Yeah. So just really tough times in Hertha right now. And they're just above the drop zone or, you know, into that relegation slash relegation playoff <laughs> mix. Um, somewhere they certainly don't want to be given the, investment that they've made into the club and um did you see sammy kadira <laughs> to Hertha? yes so weird that's an odd move yeah for sure um i mean like Hertha have been wanting for some reason like a slow deep line playmaker because they've been like wanting shaka they got lucas dusav mm-hmm. and then they get kadira which i just is such a weird yeah. signing but i mean we'll see how he does maybe he can inject his experience into this this pretty naive side i guess you could say maybe they're hoping for a similar impact uh for kolasinach back at Schalke. i don't know like is that <laughs> um but be. another another uh you know, storyline out of this is obviously we've we've spoken very highly of Luka Jovic in his return to Eintracht and and he's been been scoring, but Andre Silva has a brace and in and despite all of the kind of hype around uh, Jovic, um, Andre Silva is the second top scorer in the Bundesliga behind Robert Lewandowski and he has sixteen goals, which at this point in the season would probably be good enough to be the top scorer in any other league campaign. But Robert Lewandowski is a freak and has 24. So like oh Andre Silva is scoring a goal every 97 minutes, um, like a 0.93 goals per 90. Um, but Robert Lewandowski is an absolute freak. But anyways, Andre Silva is having a really good season uh, for Eintracht and just an unbelievable goal return at the moment. Yeah, yeah, he's been insane and also with three assists too. So, I mean, he's also laying it off when he needs to. Um, Yeah, I mean, you didn't really see this player at Milan, but I guess in the Bundesliga, like some players just blossom in Germany and I I like to see it. I mean, he's... (laughs) He's only 25 years old. Um, obviously, he's got a lot of caps for Portugal already, and and you know they'll need this kind of goal scoring once Ronaldo finally does hang up the boots. So I think it's a good thing for for club and for country. Um, 
Yeah, he's incredible. Uh, I think, and then you know, to think of him and Jovic as a partnership is terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> and they have played off each other, you know, already. So right. Yeah, shout out Eintracht. Yeah, um, I guess heading uh, around around the Bundesliga, Dortmund uh, get a three one win over Augsburg, and maybe a little bit of a back to normal after back to back defeats for. Um, for Dortmund, um, it looked like it was going to be like the same old story in, in some of these, uh, where, cause Andre Hahn actually gives Augsburg the lead. Um, so Dortmund showing quite a bit of resiliency to, uh, to, to come back and win this one. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, you know, I think a lot of people have been questioning Dortmund because of, um, kind of allowing, Ed Terzic to kind of just have the reign for the rest of the season. People have questioned the the intelligence of that, but I mean, you know, it's a good result, and hopefully they can crack on. and And shout out Jason Sancho; he looks much more inspired lately. So that that can only be a good thing for Dortmund, honestly. And Gio Reyna um, back in the starting lineup um, mm. for this one, so so good signs there for sure. Um. The marquee matchup of the week of the weekend in the Bundesliga was RB Leipzig against Leverkusen. And as we said, RB Leipzig get the win and a, and a good win um, in Kunku gets the goal. But the game itself was not it did not live up to the hype. You watched the whole thing, did you? I did. <laughs> I regretted most of it. Um, the The really interesting thing is that. Like. On paper, there's really no reason why this shouldn't have just been absolute absolute insanity, um, right. because both managers named very attacking lineups. Um, the <laughs> the formation that like is shown uh, for RB Leipzig is like a three one four two with like. Four being the attacking midfielders, like they literally show a flat line behind the two strikers of four attacking midfielders. So it's just like they went like all out and, uh, you know, they they didn't um, it just didn't have the the back and forth kind of like counter counter vibe that I thought it was going to. Yeah. Um, and in the end, it, it's, you know, Leipzig, or Leverkusen have just not been very good recently. Like, they they uh, they get, you know, they've had that, what was it, the one, um, like, decent result. Um, recently, what was it? Oh, the win over Dortmund. Yeah. But aside from that, they've been actually, like, pretty poor um and yeah they they've just been struggling ever since the new year so well really that Bayern loss like seems to have broken them uh back right before the the end of the of the um first half of the season before the winter break yeah I think that that was like right before Christmas and then they really only won once or no one once in the league since yeah yeah geez yeah, cup win and and uh and one league win. So yeah, they've just been struggling um ever since that loss to Bayern. 
which was completely avoidable. Um, they literally gave that game to Byron. So yeah, the uh, <laughs> the rest of the league, uh, the results around the league: Stuttgart two uh, nil win over Mainz, um, who are looking yep doomed at the moment. Um, Union and Mönchengladbach, uh, play to a one, one draw. And this is a tough fixture for Mönchengladbach, uh, and Union, Union made it extremely tough on them. Yeah. I was really pleased at the end to have gotten something out of it because it's not the, the first story is not a happy hunting ground for Gladbach. It's always a tough fixture there. And they, I thought Union were probably the better side, um, Toyfoot was a, a terror. Um, the on loan Liverpool lad whose name escapes me right now is also <laughs> giving us the work. Taiwo uh, I I will Awo me. Ni. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So Awo yeah, ni. I was I was just pleased at the end of the day to get something and leave. Yeah. <laughs> no, fair enough. And not the first team that that will say that this season and and certainly not the last. Um Right. Bayern get a four one win over Hoffenheim and Hoffenheim have been making a habit of just getting absolutely shellacked by some of the big teams in the league. They just seem to get like absolutely battered um, every once in a while, just to keep things interesting. Far cry from Hoffenheim's uh, famous, famous victory over Bayern, you know, early on in the season. Right. Right. Um, Verder and Schalke played to a one-one draw, um, which I'm sure Schalke will be happy with any point that they can salvage at, the, at this point yeah. of the season. Um, and uh, Köln get a big win over, uh, you know, fellow strugglers Arminia Bielefeld um, in uh, in what would probably be classed as a six-pointer uh, towards the bottom. <laughs> um, so the Bundesliga table, Bayern top. RB Leipzig in second, as we said, Wolfsburg uh, third with Eintracht uh, in fourth behind them. Leverkusen now down to fifth level on points with Dortmund, um, who are in sixth on goal difference. Mönchengladbach in seventh, uh, Union Berlin in eighth, Freiburg ninth, Stuttgart up to 10th um, with that win over uh, Mainz. And then uh, towards the bottom, Köln climb up to 14th uh, with their win over Bielefeld. Um, Hertha are now 15th and level on points with Armenia um, in that relegation playoff spot in 16th. So Hertha, like, Jesus. teetering. Yeah. Wow. Given Again, given how much they've spent, that's shocking. Yeah. And like the size of the clubs towards the bottom, like, you know, Armenia and Mainz being in the relegation zone is one thing. Um, Hertha and Schalke being potentially relegated is just like, yeah, it's how do you say bruh moment? In <laughs> <German>? <laughs> uh, I think it's pronounced how as vow uh, at the moment. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but yeah, um, so interesting interesting things uh coming together especially towards uh towards the bottom because obviously uh, it, you know it's looking more and more likely like Bayern um after initial stutters are just unstoppable um as we've as we've said throughout inevitable um and yeah Thanos himself Robert Lewandowski ensuring their supremacy on on a <laughs> daily basis 
Um, I wanted to talk about Liga Un um, primarily because one of the biggest results of the weekend went by and nobody said a goddamn word about it. Um, like, I didn't see anything about the fact that the team who is third bottom of of Liga Un beat PSG. <laughs> After having just been promoted. Yeah. Right. Lorient... Uh, get a 3-2 win over PSG in which Neymar scored two penalties, um, which gave PSG the lead at the time after uh, Abergel had opened the scoring for Lorient. Johan Wissa gets an 80th minute equalizer and then Terem Mofi, who has actually been a, in pretty decent goal scoring form for, uh, for Lorient. And if he's not careful, like West Ham may lodge a late bid for him. Um, but he, uh, he wins it in the 91st minute PSG caught up the field and, uh, and give up the sucker punch, but PSG don't get a goal from open play and they lose to a team who is in the relegation play, uh, places in, in Liga Un. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, I want to just say this is an aberration and it'll just, it'll even itself out over the course of the season, but yeah, shocking, shocking stuff from PSG against Lorient. Like I said, a team that had just been promoted. Um, the defending was calamitous. Um, yeah. I think Prenil <laughs> Kimpembe was living on a prayer with some of those players around him, Tilo Carrer and others just not pulling their weight. A lot of PSG players would have their back turned to play when Lorient was on the ball, which I just found disrespectful to the opposition. Mm-hmm. Um Pochettino needs to sort that out. I mean, he rotated the side. He played Sergio Rico in goal. Data forget for him. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, I just I you know I I try to stay away from some of these like cliches, but it really did seem like PSG did not respect <laughs> Lorient as an opponent, and uh, you know they they probably deserve to lose at the end of the day. Uh, Lorient played to the final whistle and and took advantage of some really just insane. <laughs> defending or lack thereof so something for Pochettino to think about for sure I uh I am I find it extremely so first off I think it's extremely telling um that Pochettino has has gone back to Icardi um mm. up top and I don't know if there's an Argentine connection or anything like that um uh, but the uh Moise Kane, who has been like the inform like striker for uh for PSG, especially in the absence of of Mbappe, you know, who who had been out and featured in this one in this one. Um and is in poor form, but yeah. I'm saying that quietly. Well, well he's so <laughs> distracted by LeBron James at every at every turn. Um <laughs> uh, no the uh yeah, Boise Kane on the bench doesn't even feature um, in this one. So kind of an interesting uh, move given how well he was playing, you know, under under Tuchel. Um, and also interesting, the shape from Poch. He's gone like, <laughs> as the English would say, four, four, fucking two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see how long that lasts. I really don't see PSG fans. <laughs> Like being cool with that, um, 
it just yeah i don't know it needs a rethink i mean i i just really thought that they did not take this the the fixture seriously whatsoever and you know like on the Icardi thing i think on one hand it makes sense because he's he can be like that pivot that like just the the speedier and the neymars and the mbappes can play off of but mm-hmm. why are you you know taking out a young and hungry kid for a a striker who's been indulged <laughs> and at inter and and now at psg and um you know and Ken has had no reason to be dropped really in terms of form. So yeah, it is an interesting one between the Argentines, I guess, but I don't know. We'll see. The 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 title race in Ligon is is lit. It's on. <laughs> and credit to Lorient for for playing you know to the end and and sn- snatching a win here. Um kind of smelling blood when they caught PSG up 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 the field and um a good finish too. Like actually all of Lorient's goals were good. Um, so yeah, credit to them for, for hanging in there against the, the champions. Um, but, uh, <laughs> there was one league Un game that was not played, uh, mm. this weekend and, uh, Stad Rene and Marseille's match was postponed. Um, it was, set to take place at the Stade Velodrome, Marseille's home ground. And uh, it didn't because member hundreds, it says of members of the, of Marseille's ultra groups uh, stormed the training facility because of the club's poor form. Um, And yeah, this is storming things is like all the rage right now. (laughs) And I think actually their trading ground fell faster than the capital, if you can believe it. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I had a we had a tweet from a, a follower at Rene El Paso said, as a lifelong Dodger fan, I can tell you from experience that Frank McCourt and his cronies don't have the management skills to know how to handle this effectively. So obviously Frank yeah. McCourt, he's referring to the owner, the American owner of Marseille and um yeah, the ultras are protesting what they feel is poor management by both McCourt, uh, court, McCourt, and uh, I the the president mm-hmm. of Marseille. Um, they were in six with a game in hand when this happened. So, like as an Arsenal fan, that seems just like extremely dramatic, but also like <laughs> France. So, um, yeah, and and Andre Villas has been very public about his time being up in the summer, most likely, and that the yeah. club hasn't. Um, offered him an extension and then he had that like awkward moment recently in a press conference where he was like yeah i mean i'll stay till the summer unless you know he over there like fires me <laughs> and then like hands <laughs> to like one of the directors who's like what <laughs> so it's just like very strange times at marseille um yeah. I mean, we're laughing about it, but I mean, apparently Alvaro Gonzalez got hit by a projectile, which is just never okay. No, <laughs> like, yeah, I think he's that's... all right, but like, yeah, y'all are doing the most down on the Riviera. Like, that's crazy. Chill. Um, the other results from League Un uh, that did take place, um, given the yeah. <laughs> lack of violence and lack of fans, I guess, in a lot of cases. Um, yeah. Leon uh, beat Bordeaux 2 1, and Leon and Lille, obviously the the teams primarily involved in that uh, in that title race, and Lille keeping pace, one nil win over over Dijon. Um, 
Lance get a win against Montpellier, uh, which a, a good result for Lance, uh, 2-1 win. San Etienne with a win over Nice, and it it's like two struggling teams yeah. playing each other, so it's always interesting to see who, who will get the better of who, and Claude Puel's side got, got uh, found a way to win uh, what wasn't, you know, the craziest yeah. match ever, but 1-0. Um, Good result. Etienne actually had their fans also show up to the training ground, but that ended with the fans clapping them. So I don't know, <laughs> maybe food for thought, Marseille. <laughs> uh, uh, Mace uh, got a, a 4-2 win over, over Brest. Um, Angers with a 3-1 win over Nîmes. And uh, Re- Stad Reem with a 1-0 win over Strasbourg. Um and then Monaco two one winners over ten man Nance. Um, Kevin Volan scores again, so um, that's always. I it's, it's still I weird to see that he's there. Yeah, yeah, it's still weird to see. Um, <laughs> but that leaves the table uh, in pretty interesting shape, especially with PS. Anytime PSG loses, uh, and and the uh, yeah, so Lille are now three points clear at the top. Um, Hey. Over PSG, I should say. They're two points clear at the top over Lyon, who are second. PSG is third. Uh, Monaco fourth. Uh, Stade Rene down to fifth. Mace and Lance level on points in sixth and seventh. And then Angers in eighth. Marseille down to ninth. But that's with two games in hand due to the postponement. Um, and Bordeaux in tenth. So uh, Marseille could, in theory, if on if AVB cares... Um, they could move a little bit further up the table. <laughs> I guess we'll see. Um, and uh, down at the bottom, uh, San Etienne get a little bit of separation between them and the and the relegation places. Uh, Nantes uh, is seventeenth. Lorient up to up to eighteenth uh, and on eighteen points. And Dijon and Nîmes down in the automatic relegation places. So. Um, still a chance for them they're not they're not adrift by too far but uh but Lorient that's a a you know an unexpected source for three points in the relegation race yeah and that was two wins on the bounce so good on them yeah yeah climbing quite quickly um but yeah league and remains remains a fun a fun title race to watch um Another fun title race that's shape, that's been shaping up is is Serie A and in Italy. Um, but this weekend, not the the poster child for how crazy uh, Italian football has been, um, with all of the big the top six sides getting wins this weekend, including probably what was the match of the weekend, um, Atalanta this time on the wrong end of uh, of a thriller and Lazio. <laughs> Um, get a 3-1 win in Bergamo. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is five straight wins for Simone and Zaghi's men, so big ups to, to Lazio. That's very impressive indeed. Uh, I guess it's revenge for their Coppa Italia defeat to Atalanta last Wednesday. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, Atalanta, they're struggling, I think, for consistency in the league. I mean, you just destroyed AC Milan and then lose to Lazio. It's kind of strange. 
Um, but but Lazio were really full value for the win. I mean, Marusic's opener is a beauty. Yeah. Um, and I thought Milinkovic Savage played pretty well. He he looked like he really wanted to score. Um, he was really close on on a, a free kick, and I think he hit the post too. So yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was a really good uh, showing from uh, Lazio. I think uh, Correa scored as well, and yeah, one other player. Mariki. Mariki, that's right. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think with Atlanta, it seemed like there was a lot of miscommunication between the center backs and and uh, Golini. Um, oh yeah. So yeah, and Lazio were very direct too. I mean, it, it felt like three passes and Atalanta were undone. Yeah. So it just it, <laughs> it just wasn't Atalanta's day, and, and Lazio have been very very impressive indeed. Uh, yeah, it seems like Inzaghi's got them playing like for him uh a yeah. little bit uh <laughs> a similar situation to Hertha um but a much better outcome um cuz Marsic uh his goal goes in and he is straight over to the manager um like the whole team is over to the bench uh and so you can just see like Inzaghi really like um yeah getting a song out of these players and, and yeah, up to sixth now and level on points with Napoli. Yeah. It's, it's really impressive. They are definitely fighting for a, a European spot. The, um, the Syria fixtures, uh, played out like this. Your boys, Torino still can't find a win 10 man Fiorentina and it's, it's a one, one. And in fact, Andrea Bellotti has to score a late goal in order to get that one, one draw. It's just a joke. (laughs) (laughs) And and Bellotti's having a really good season goal scoring wise, but Torino just cannot get it over the line. I just, I'm, and I'm like invested now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm invested in their survival and I just know it's going to probably end in pain. (laughs) Um, AC Milan, uh, get back to winning ways, a two, one win over Bologna. Um, and, uh, Ante Rebic gets a goal, which, um, you know, he hasn't been the, the biggest goal scoring name for, for AC Milan. So, um, nice to see him step up, uh, a little bit in that, in that way. Um, 2-0 2-0 win for Juve over Sampdoria and uh Chiesa scores again. He's looking I'm in the mud because I said Juve were gonna waste him and he's been <laughs> unreal this season. I mean you're not you're not wrong for perhaps thinking that because they've done that with other players. I yeah. <laughs> I mean maybe some players weren't good enough. I think of like Yatza and others like that, but yeah, right. I'm glad Chiesa's at least doing something um and getting to play. Um Inter Milan, like comfortable four nil win over Benevento and so comfortable. In fact, uh, Benevento did not register a shot in the game. That's the other Inzaghi brother not doing no. <laughs> as well as Simone, <laughs> unfortunately, but, um, <laughs> Udinese and, uh, Spezia played to, uh, Udinese grabbed a one nil win. Um, both teams finished with 10. Um, so yeah, spicy oh. one. Oh, uh Cagliari and and Sassuolo drew 1-1 uh Genoa got a big 3-0 win over Crotone and uh Genoa now up to 14th 
That's good. Yeah, because they have been struggling <laughs> the yeah. past couple seasons. They're unbeaten in four and uh, three wins in that time. So, yeah, the, definitely they only have five wins this season. So three of them have come in the last three weeks or four Jeez. weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Um, now level with Udinese actually on points. Uh, so interesting, um, development for Genoa, uh, Napoli to no win against Parma. Um, no Chucky Lozano goal to speak of, which had been becoming like a pretty regular thing. Uh, but, uh, Elmas and Palatano, the goal scorers there. And then Roma three, one winners over Verona. Um, and uh, Roma bouncing or, you know, now adding to their momentum and, and a couple wins in a row for them. Yeah, they're doing really well as well. I think like what, fourth, third or fourth? Third. Yep. Up to third for Roma. So, um, yeah, interesting, uh, interesting movement in the table. The Milan club stay top. Um, so Milan uh, just two points clear of Inter in second. Roma. Uh, down in third, uh, Juve below them, but with a game in hand um, and just a single point behind Roma. Napoli fifth, um, also same amount of games played as Juve, um, but a game in hand on the other teams above them. Lazio sixth, Atalanta seventh, Sassuolo eighth, Verona ninth, uh, Sampdoria 10th, and uh, down towards the relegation places Torino precarious in 17th, but level on points with Cagliari who's in 18th. Um, and then Parma and Crotone, uh, propping up the table down there at the bottom, but really, uh, yeah, again, the run in here is going to be really, really interesting to watch. For sure. For sure. Um, well, that brings us now to the the sounds of the season playlist additions, Mika. What what are you going with for your two songs this week to add to our our nice little Spotify playlist we got running? All right. So my first one actually has nothing to do with anything football. It's just a good song, <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, "In the Shadows" by Story of the Year, a, a band and an album, Page Avenue being the album that I think was really ahead of its time, like. They were just, I don't know, they're just phenomenal. And it's a, it's an album that's, like, withstood the test of time. Like, there are some songs that, there are some bands I listen to that I'm, like, cringe. Like, how could yeah. I listen to this? But Story of the Year, that Page Avenue album always is is a good one, no yeah. matter what. And this is one of their best songs, I think. Quality. So I just wanted to throw that on there. Um, another one a little bit more on the nose, though, is uh, Hail to the King by Avenged Sevenfold. I This is, like, now my second Avenged Sevenfold song that, I've related to La Liga. I don't know what's going on there, but uh, <laughs> this is for, for Messi and, and his insane free kick against Athletic, um, which isn't even like unusual, but it right. just shows you like just how otherworldly he is and, and put some respect on his name, like leak his contract and he'll just <laughs> score a world. <laughs> like it really doesn't matter. Um, so that, that's kind of my, uh, on the nose song for, for the, the King, for me, Leo Messi. I love it. Yeah. The, uh, that's a good shout for story of the year being ahead of its time. That's that album is, uh, it's kind of like lost in the shuffle now. Yeah. Um, but at the time, like 
absolute classic. And yeah. uh, like, I feel like they should be bigger than they are or than yeah. they were because that was such a there was no bad songs on that album. No, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, for mine, we kind of went for similar like eras, uh, I guess, <laughs> and scenes. Um, but um, my first uh, my first pick in honor of the transfer window uh, closing um, and, you know, people moving clubs and all that stuff. I picked a song by a band called Atreyu um, called X's and O's. But like yes. X's like, you know, like an X anyways. So tactics boards, <laughs> X player. Yeah. Tactics boards, but also like X players. Uh, uh, yes. Moving around. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of my thought there. Um, also, such a good song. Uh, yeah. But by the Love way, that, that era of a tree was undefeated. Yeah. And then uh, the the second one I have is is also maybe maybe it's Messi's contract, uh, but or maybe <laughs> maybe it's transfer fees. I'll let you I'll let the listeners decide. Um, but I picked uh, a, a track by a band called Woe Is Me um, called Our Numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe Our Numbers is you know the loyalty clause on Messi's Messi's contract, <laughs> but. Um, but yeah, so that's another one that, uh, yeah, there's a very specific time that Woe Is Me could exist in. True. And true, like, true, true. they, I think, ahead of their time in some ways, but really, like, there was a very specific era that that band would be, you know, or would thrive in, and they, they found it. I really liked their like second iteration when uh Hans Allgood became the clean vocalist, but that yeah. didn't last. It's so no. I just woe is me is like the opposite of Dancy Evan Dance. Like Yeah. They could never like continue with all the member shuffles. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a team like a team that really like rose quickly but couldn't handle the the turnover from like Maybe it was a manager that couldn't handle the personalities or whatever, like uh, someone who like really rose quickly and then like crashed and burned. I don't know. Or, I maybe like Watford. Could could be a lot of turnover <laughs> for sure. Yeah, a lot of turnover. Marcus Silver and Richarlison like that kind of doomed them. <laughs> Something like that. Oh my god! <laughs> Maybe I just thought of it because they posted on W. I just forgot. I I completely forgot that Richarlison played for Watford. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while now. I thought he just like I like if you would have asked me right before then, I would have stared and then blindly guessed. Like I think he came straight from Brazil, like to Everton. <laughs> No, he was definitely yeah. At, he was at, at Watford. Vicarage Road. He's. I want them back in the Premier League for the sole reason that I think Vicarage Road is one of the coolest looking stadiums on TV. It is legit. Yeah. <laughs> no, I. I, I mean, they have that. an Elton John stand. Like that's <laughs> dope. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> well, uh, I hope I hope you've enjoyed the episode. Um, if you have, please uh, please think about giving us a follow or a subscription on uh, whatever podcast platform you use. Um, and uh, if you want to see more stuff from us, you can follow us at HXC football on Twitter. Um, 
yeah until next time hope everyone hope everyone you know has a good week stay safe and uh and you can watch the football from uh you know the safety of your own home or whatever and and hopefully (laughs) you uh yeah just enjoy and until next time peace